You're listening to episode 26. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it, and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really... I am the number one student, so get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals Podcast, where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. Davis Mutabo here, your host. Um, I'm super excited to bring in today's feature guest, Mr. Rob Rosen. Rob, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? Absolutely. Fantastic. Originally trained as a medical doctor, um, Rob worked three years in hospitals in Australia right here and um, always had a desire to start his own business and he actually built some, started some businesses um, while even studying medicine. And uh, now he's the founder of staff.com, which is a global online platform for recruitment, uh, gives you insights into the activities of your workforce. Um, so I'm super excited to hear more about your story, Rob. Um, so welcome to the show, firstly. Uh, and first, before we get stuck into your story, yeah, uh, take 30 seconds maybe just to tell us who is Rob outside of business. Well, I'm actually, as, as you mentioned, was a medical doctor, but it's been quite a while now. I've been really into business since then. And now uh, I have a family, so I have two young kids. I live in Sydney, Australia, fantastic place to live, and I'm really enjoying life as an entrepreneur and also doing various things outside of work, such as biking and I like to exercise and keep fit as well. Amazing, amazing. So you started off as a medical doctor. You didn't like it, it sounds like. Well, it's not so much that I didn't like it, actually. I, st- I actually did a lot of entrepreneurial things during medicine. So I started a few businesses whilst I was doing my medical degree. I actually took a year off to be a marketing consultant, which is a bit crazy. I actually listened to Jay Abraham materials. I'm not sure if you've heard of Jay Abraham. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's a, a marketer and I listened to him and then I thought, I know everything about marketing, so I'm now going to actually consult the businesses and, and take a percentage of the upside if they succeed in their business. So that was a crazy idea whilst I was in fourth year of medicine. Didn't quite succeed. I uh, had a number of other things like that that I did during medical school. So I was just always entrepreneurial and I just kept medicine going until I actually became successful in an entrepreneurial capacity. So it's not that I didn't like it, actually. I I do like it. I think it's an amazing career, but I I felt so much passion for pursuing entrepreneurial activities that I just went down that path. And it's hard to be half a doctor. You really have to devote your whole life to it. You can't just do it part-time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, I was just checking your your profile. You, You speak Spanish. How did that come about? 
I was traveling in South America. So I listened to a lot of CDs and tapes and I made myself learn Spanish. I forced myself to learn it by mostly through CDs and, and tapes when I was traveling for three months in South America. Oh, there you go. There you go. Very good. Now, Rob, how long would you say you've been uh, full-time for yourself in business? I've been doing business now for about 10 years, full-time, and mostly in the internet businesses. Okay. And um, what are the core revenue sources that you have today in business? Now, it's from our software products. So, it's software as a service, monthly software subscription revenue for TimeDoctor and Staff.com which is time tracking and productivity verification for remote teams. And what we're now building is actually predicting employee behavior with artificial intelligence and machine learning so that you can actually understand, based on machine learning, what new employees in the company are more likely to do. So if they're going to quit in the first three months or are they going to be more productive, different things like that. Okay, so that's that's the new angle that you're taking and that's is that the new trajectory yeah is that growing yes we've got some fantastic uh, things going on there with a potential deal with microsoft and a lot of things going on wow congratulations for all that all that success that you're, you've seen and continue to see um i wanted to find out how did um the journey for you sort of start into time doctor or staff.com which one came first started with Time Doctor because we actually had a company that was in the Philippines. So I had a number of people working in an office there and I wanted to leave the office. So I wanted to get everyone working from home. So I built the software so that I could have everyone working from home reliably and not have to keep coming back to the office. So I did that and then I traveled around the world for five years after that. And that was the software is actually the way that I managed to keep the team together while still traveling and and having everyone working from home. Okay, so it's essentially monitoring um, what people are working on or it's giving scheduling? Yeah, the monitoring is a component, but it's really about keeping trust in a remote team. So people that are working in a remote team, they might have team members all around the world and you you want to have this consistency. You want to know what everyone is doing in the team. You want to make sure that there's, it's sort of replacing an office in a way, because if you go in an office, you come into the office, everyone's there. You know that everyone's there. You know what's going on. Um, you also have a great communication style. So it's replacing a lot of those things that you have in an office. And how did that evolve into staff.com? Are they related? Yes, it's a similar product except that Stuff.com is actually for enterprise, so it's more for large businesses, whereas Time Doctor is for more small businesses and remote businesses. So Stuff.com is more for companies in an office and Time Doctor is more for companies that are remote. Can you share a little bit about the size of these businesses? Well, we're doing, Staff.com is actually a newer business, so it's only actually launched in June of this year, and we had some previous iterations of Staff.com that we launched before that, but this, this iteration is in June. So Tom Doctor has been going a lot longer, so it's a lot bigger in terms of revenue, and it's been going until from 2012, and we have over 20,000 
em- employees on the platform at the moment, paid employees. And is your, your fee structure based on the number of employees on the platform? or? Yeah, basically where we charge per employee. Okay, and where's your, what's your ideal client? For Time Doctor, our ideal client is actually remote companies that manage a team around the world or they have partly a team in the office, partly a team working remotely. Right. That's very interesting. For staff.com, it's slightly different market, market because it's more focused on offices like BPOs in the Philippines. We've, we've got a different focus. So how, how long did it take you from idea concept to actually having your first paying customer for um, you know, Time Doctor? We started off as a free product. So I created it for myself, as I mentioned first. And then getting the first customers didn't take particularly long. It was really more that we had it for my own purposes. And then we started getting a trickle of customers. And I decided to actually promote it. And it wasn't that difficult getting the first few free customers. Okay. What about um, transitioning to your first paying customers? Did you wait to build up the database first? We did wait a little while to build up the product, to improve the product, and then we probably waited too long, to be honest. We actually should have gone a bit sooner and, and actually started charging for it. Why were you waiting? I think we were trying to perfect it more than I really needed to. It actually is more important to do this minimum viable product type of concept, uh, which is just to get something out there and get feedback, which we did, but the real feedback is from people that are paying. So once you get people that are paying, you're getting the true feedback, which is, I really want this. So we were waiting just to perfect it a bit more, which was not actually necessary. And how did you fund it at the beginning, if you're not having paying customers? It was self-funded, so I, I had a number of other businesses that I'd done before and so I was using my own funding for that. Are you still self-funded? Yes, yeah, we're bootstrapped. We're, we haven't raised any money outside of the funding that I put in and yeah, we're completely bootstrapped. It's a great way to be because you can you retain the ownership of the company which is obviously a, a big benefit and you're not beholden to the VCs, etc. So you're also aiming more for profitability. You're not sort of chasing the rainbow of hyper growth, which is difficult to achieve for most companies. So I think that there's obviously benefits in both. Some companies do need to raise money and, and there's a benefit in that. But for us, we've found that it's quite a good path to actually just be self-funding. Mm. So I want to just step back a little bit because I know some people might be hearing, oh, wow, I would love to start something like staff.com or, or maybe they have already done it, but then you know, they're looking for funding. So you, you've glossed over it a little bit. And I want to just dig into that a bit more. How did, what, what was it that was driving your funds at the time when you were growing um, you know, Time Doctor? What, what businesses were you running there? What were the key ones? The, the money that I was earning before was actually from affiliate revenue and Google AdSense. So, yeah, it was it was fairly common strategy. A lot of people were doing it. I did it to a, a really large degree. I actually was advertising on thousands and thousands of keywords. I was advertising hundreds of affiliates. So I was doing a huge volume at one stage. 
However, a lot of those strategies that I was using were temporary strategies. They weren't necessarily lasting businesses. Some of them made some good money. I also did some SEO websites where I optimized the websites and then sold AdSense and affiliate revenue from those. So I did a, a bunch of stuff like that uh, to, to earn money initially. I also had an outsourcing uh, center in the Philippines, so that was helpful. Mm. Do you do any outsourcing today? A small amount. We got into that as a business, but then we decided not to continue with it. Mm. Okay. Um, it's affiliate um, marketing is still still pretty big. Um, wh- what do you see in that space today based on your experience? There's still actually a really good opportunity. We're actually making some money from affiliate marketing as a side product of our own main product, which is that we're talking about these ways to transfer money. There's some new players that are coming into the space for transferring money. I'm not sure if you've ever tried transferring money with a bank, but the Australian banks in particular absolutely rip you off. They charge fees of... 5% 5% or higher in some cases. So if you're actually transferring $100,000 and you imagine that the bank charges you 5%, that's $5,000. It's insane. Um, and they don't declare these fees, right? So these fees that these banks are charging, they don't declare them. So there are a lot of alternatives coming out which are great ways to save money when transferring overseas. So I actually have done a number of blog posts on that and then I've earned affiliate commission from those blog posts and it's actually earning some good money it's earning a full-time income actually just that that one promotion of those companies is earning a full-time income and it's obviously not something that i'm focused on because this is like a little side thing that we've done i want to dig a little bit more just on that if you if you're open to sharing so does that mean um how much traffic do you need to generate a full-time and in australia full-time would be what 50 grand a year somewhere thereabouts yeah, around about that. I think we're earning about uh, probably a bit more than that, actually. Wow. How do you set that up? So we literally did a whole lot of informational blog articles on these different options. So looking at options for transferring money, comparing them, doing it for different countries. So I did it for probably 20 or so different countries, how to transfer money to the Philippines, how to transfer money to India, all of these different articles. And then I, I listed all the options, I rated them, and then I have affiliates for not all of them, to be honest, because I'm doing this also as informational to improve the information on that area. But we do have affiliate revenue for some of them, and that's where I'm making the money from it. And then in terms of promoting it, it's really actually gets out there from its own accord because because it's great information and people share it and it gets li- listed in the search engine. So when people are searching on Google, it gets ranked. It is not easy necessarily, but it's not that that difficult. And the most important key factor is getting the really imp- good quality information out there. So this used to be your forte, so you're kind of just going back to test the waters again, man. Is it, is it going to draw you back in? Not really, because it's not a sustainable business model. Uh, when you're generating affiliate re- revenue, you're actually just promoting somebody else's business. And although some people can generate good revenue from it long term, I see it more as a short-term thing because you're not building a brand, you're not building repeat customers, 
it has a lot of downsides. So the upside is that it's easy to get started. You, you don't need any product. Like it's such an easy business to start, really. And that's why I started in the, in the beginning. But the downside is that it has no recurring revenue, no brand, uh, no sustainability, no saleability, a lot of negatives as well. So that then talks to your philosophy of what you look for in a business, right? Recurring revenue, um, building brand. What else is important to you? Definitely those things that you mentioned. So I'm looking for something that is meeting a market need. I love software as a service because you're constantly seeing every month what you're getting. Like you have a, a revenue this month, you know what your revenue is going to be next month. It's very, very predictable. And that's also why you'll notice that software as a service businesses have good multiples when they when you buy or sell them. They're relatively easier to sell because they're much more predictable businesses. And that has a lot of value in, in that kind of thing because you, you're not trying to constantly get more service revenue each month. The downside is every, everything has pluses and minuses, right? Uh, but the downside is that it's, it's hyper-competitive. You're competing with the entire globe. So you, you have to be a very competitive business. And one of the competitive strengths that we have is that we are a completely remote company. So we have over 50 team members in 16 countries and everybody is working remotely. And that gives us a huge advantage. So if you just imagine you're a business in Sydney and you try to hire a new team member, you're hiring from literally one city. Uh, there's quite a lot of people. There's 5 million people in Sydney. That's great. But how many people are there in the entire planet? There's billions, right? So you're absolutely massively restricting the potential talent pool when you say, I'm only going to hire from this one city. And it's not even just the one city, really, because within Sydney, you, you can only hire people that are able to go to your office, which is limited further, right? Because most of them, are, it's too far to travel all of the way to your office. So it's extremely limited, in my view, to hire only from your own local region. It, it depends, obviously, on the type of business that you're doing. Some businesses you do need to hire locally because of the type of business. But I think the scope for remote businesses is much higher than most people imagine. And the benefits of hiring globally in terms of the talent that you can access is incredible. So this is a, a huge competitive advantage, which is going to be a competitive advantage for a lot of businesses for many years to come. But your competition has the same advantage, though. I would say a lot of them are not doing that. Uh, there are some. One of our competitors does also have a remote business and they're doing very well. But a lot of the VC-backed companies are actually located in Silicon Valley. So their costs compared to us are at least five, five times higher, I would say. I mean, I may be overestimating, but it's, it's going to be at least double or triple because of the cost of the office, the cost of the just to live in, in Silicon Valley now is insanely expensive. Everything there is expensive. So you have to have a, a, a salary that's very high just to live there, just to get by. Whereas if you're a US company and you're, you're hiring in a more affordable area like Austin, it's, it's much, much easier to to get by on even half the salary. It's probably the, the comparable salary is if you get 150 grand in, 
in the Bay Area, it's comparable to 75 grand in Austin. And so that just is a huge advantage for people. Have, have you been um, sort of enticed or encouraged to move to the Silicon Valley? I have thought about it, actually, and I've actually moved there for three months just to just a holiday and, and try it out. But I didn't find the advantages came to me that there was they were supposed to be there, the networking advantages, etc. I think the biggest advantages is raising money, really. So if you can have an office there and you can have a presence, maybe for sales or marketing or for raising money, but have the bulk of your team remote or in other areas of the U.S. or uh, something like that, I think it's very powerful. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, how, how does somebody um, set up a SaaS business? Um, and first of all, what is it in, in, a, in layman's terms? And how would you coach somebody who might have an idea in that space to how do they set it up um, in the way that you've done it, the model you've used? So what it is is software that you pay for month to month. And the leader in that is Salesforce.com. Salesforce led the industry in terms of stopping this install kind of software model where you just install it once and you pay for it once and then you have these big companies are paying like a, a maintenance fee anyway, but it's a, a completely different model. It's on the cloud and you're paying per month and it has a lot of advantages and that you can constantly update the software, you can improve it over time. So in terms of how to do that and how to get into that business, the ideal way is if you have a if you're a technical person and you can actually code it yourself. A key thing is that you need to do this kind of minimal viable product and the lean startup method. If you haven't read anything about lean startup, there's a bunch of free information on the web on lean startup. So just read everything that you can on lean startup. It's the perfect way to to actually enter the market as those kinds of principles of lean startup. And if you don't have uh, technical skills, it is still possible. So we actually, I'm not a technical person. I actually hired people to do it. But there's a little bit more of a windy path. It's a little bit more difficult. And you have to then get your capabilities in terms of actually hiring people to do that work. So it's possible for sure. And you might need some funding in that case if you do actually hire people rather than do the initial work yourself. But the key ingredient really is finding the need in the market, finding something that people want, doing something as simple as possible to meet that need, and then charging people as quickly as possible for it so that you're actually getting real feedback, people paying you to get the software, and then you compl- you iterate and improve it over time. Mm. Um, I don't know whether you've, you've seen anything, um, just continuing on from that conversation, any gaps in the market that you think are interesting for somebody to look into maybe um, in, in this space? I think the best gaps are ones that I probably wouldn't be aware of, and they might be industry-specific. So I think some of the, the greatest areas of opportunity are in these B2B, most likely, uh, business-to-business applications, but in very niche areas. It might be in logistics. It might be in in some industry. So if a person has a an experience in that industry, it's very helpful. The, the things that you immediately think of 
and that are common, like, uh, for example, task management system, everyone would probably think of, oh, we could do a system to manage your task. I think that's extremely competitive and very difficult to, to get started and to, to compete with what it is already out there. But what you can compete with is if you go into more of a niche area that other people are not thinking of, they don't have the industry domain experience, so you can get something that works for that industry really well. So that that is difficult for me to say because I may not have that industry knowledge and... So I actually am doing a couple little side projects. Uh, I'm actually building one right now, which is a team reminder app. So it actually reminds you, your team, of goals. So let's say you have a team around the world or whatever it is. It doesn't even have to be a company. And you want to get reminded of your goals or of certain principles of that company. You, you want to have something that just easily reminds them every few times per day. So there's, I haven't seen anything else out like that. It's pretty easy to build. So I'm building that not so much to make money, but more as a way to generate interest in our product, in our paid products. So that's an example that I personally came up with, but there are so many others uh, that other people can come up with, and it's, it's really an individual thing for them to have that uh, idea. That's very interesting. Um, now, the key thing that I wanted to ask you before I move on from this topic is um, you're not a technical person. And I, I remember watching um, Shark Tank um, in the Australian season uh, a couple of months ago, maybe. And, um, and one of the judges was saying to, to a tech startup that was bringing this, this proposition, and it says, um, is any one of you like the CTO or, you know, in charge of IT? Are you yourself a, a coder or, a, um, you know, an engineer? And the guys were like, no, we've got a, somebody else. And they're like, nah, if you don't have an in-house tech person, then I'm not investing in you. Um, so that was very interesting for me because um, I want to ask you, how, how did you manage that? How do you navigate that directly if you're starting out and you don't have somebody? Do you, do you bring on a founder or you just pay somebody and what are the risks? If you don't have any funding, I would say you you would need to have a co-founder. That's pretty much the only way to do it because you, you've got to get the thing built and the standard is increasing nowadays. The tools that are available to build things, you can build things very quickly. So it's not necessarily difficult to build something, but it is difficult without any funding uh, to actually build something if you don't have a technical co-founder it also depends on what you're trying to get into if something is highly technical then i'd say it's a very bad idea to do that without a technical co-founder but there's a lot of business ideas that have some technical element to them but the key part of the business is really sales or you can even start the entire thing without any technical uh, basically background or any technical thing behind it. So, for example, you wanted to do a marketplace that was matching a photographers with, uh, with people that needed photography. So the best way to start that is to do a simple website where you don't have any technology behind it at all and you just manually pull the strings behind the scenes. So there's actually no technology needed. And then if you prove that the market works and that your ideas work, then after that, you can get the technology built. So technology is just a tool, really, and you've got to actually use it to deliver the goals for customers. And in a lot of cases, it's better 
to start off without any technology if it's possible, depending on your idea. A lot of ideas, it's possible to do that. And it gets you started much quick, more quickly and able to validate the idea in the marketplace. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate those those insights from you know somebody like you who spent um, a number of years doing that, especially with your background, which is completely different um, in the medical space. I think that's good good value. Um, Rob, I wanted to pivot a little bit here and talk about um, your biggest breakthrough moment in your business um, over the last sort of 10, 15 years. Um, was there a single moment where you felt a big lift, a big shift? And can you share that story if there was? There's actually been one that's more recent that I'm thinking of, which is that up to, ne- up to fairly recently, we have been running our business more through, I'm projecting, managing a lot of elements of it. So I'm saying, you need to do this, you need to do this. And I've been hyper-efficient at doing that. So I've been actually managing way too many people and giving them tasks and really being the manager for a lot of areas of the business. We've been moving away from that and into having people that are fully responsible for an area of the business where they take that responsibility, they're the right person, they can do the job better than I can. And that's still in progress, but that's actually a key strategy for us to grow to the next level because definitely reach the limit of being able to manage the business where I'm just involved in so many different areas. Mm, interesting. So, so building the right team and uh, that delegation and being able to empower your, your, your leadership team, I guess, to, to be able to scale so you free up your, your thinking space. That's great. Yeah. And what about um, fear of failure? It holds a lot of people away from entrepreneurship. I mean, you, you would have spent, I don't know, seven years or whatever studying to become a doctor and then another three years of um, grad school or internship or whatever um, sort of experience work you were, you were doing at the time and then starting to pull away from that. Um, did you have any anxiety that was holding you back or has there ever been a key moment where you felt you were failing and you maybe just wanted to go back and just go back to being a doctor? I never have never had that moment where I felt I was failing and wanted to go back or I, what I to identify with is is the fear of well is it going to really work but in the beginning I was careful so I didn't actually spend all of my time on a business I actually worked one week a month as a doctor and I was doing locum so I was actually earning quite a lot of money working nights as a doctor and I only moved out of it once I was earning earning more money in business so I actually think in general it's good to be cautious and not to just for most people it's better to actually develop things as a side business and then once it's going well to to go further from that i think the the bigger issue people have is that they're maybe not quite motivated enough like i was very very motivated i was trying hard to make things succeed i spent a lot of time on business I was constantly reading and listening to business books. I was constantly trying new things. I failed at multiple things before I succeeded. So that level of motivation is what made me eventually succeed. Not so much whether I was fearing the failure or not. Like I wasn't really focused on fearing or worrying about failure, but I was really 
I was keeping cautious at the same time. I don't think being an entrepreneur means that you throw caution to the wind. You have to be cautious with your money, cautious with your time. But at the same time, you have to be very ambitious and really go for it. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So you, you kind of took the route of um, keep it, work on it part-time until, until it, um, your part-time income exceeds your full-time income. Then you, you've got choices. So yeah. That's a good I point. mean, actually, that's it was a little bit more than that because I was only working one week a month as a doctor. So I had three weeks to work on the business. So I did have a lot of time to work on it. And that was a fortunate position. I was also at the time living at home with my parents. So I mean, I had minimal expenses. I really wasn't in any pressure financially. That's great. Yeah. So, so move back in with your parents and, and work one week in a month. That's the, that's the model. Yeah. I think it's a great option. If you can actually have a job where you only work one week a month, it's a perfect option for starting a business. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, it, it, there's choices that people can make and, uh, you know, you, you shrink down your expenses if you can and then try to see if you can scale down maybe working, to, you know, three days a week, two days a week, whatever you can to, to free up some time without becoming desperate financially. I, I think um, it's so more right. difficult when you have children. So if you're in that stage where you already have children and, and you, you're providing for a whole family, that can be a much more challenging thing to how to get out of a job and into a into a business but it's again it's about motivation if you, there's a lot of ways to cut expenses if you're living in a country like australia or the u.s most people are living way beyond what they need to they they, they can cut expenses very significantly in order to be able to spend less time with their job and more time on something that they want to do in the future yeah absolutely I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the philosophies that you use to operate your business and your personal life. Um, so I want to ask you, how do you rank the following, if at all? Um, faith, fun, family, finances, friendships. I put family above my business, so I really give it a lot of importance, but I don't really see them as competing in any way. So if they are competing, if there's, if there's a time when they do compete, I will put family above business in terms of the others i have gone to a point where i've realized that finances are not what i'm really doing it for because i actually at one stage was earning a lot of money i wasn't so happy uh, it actually didn't make me happy and it was what i always wanted which was to earn a lot of money and i did it and then I'm like yeah man whatever it's not that it's not not as bad like it's nice okay but it didn't make me happy it it was really about what's next and what is my passion and what do I really want to do and so finances by itself is not important I think obviously if you're really really not doing so well like if you're you're living in a developing country and your your income is very low that is a different situation but I think for me, that has been definitely where I put those priorities. Mm. Interesting, eh? Interesting. Um, that's great. Um, now, give me a 30-second look into a day in your life when you started your business versus a day in your life today. When I started my business versus today, well, today I actually ride my bicycle to work every day for fitness. It's awesome. And I spend a lot more time now on 
meetings with my team on hiring. I'm actually trying to expand that in terms of the amount of time that I spend on CEO type of activities and hiring, trying to get out of actual individual tasks such as project managing, time doctor or or, uh, things like that, marketing. I'm trying to get out of marketing, trying to hire people that will do all of the marketing. So that's where I'm at now. In the beginning, it's really more of just doing everything and being spread amongst lots of different areas. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, let's talk about mentors. Um, what's, your, what's your view around hiring mentors or investing in mentors? And um, yeah, do, you, do, you, do you have any mentors at the moment? I have a peer group, which is EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. I have a number of kind of virtual mentors. I actually listen to podcasts every day I I listen to them on double speed so I have probably about 15 podcasts that I have uh, on my podcasting app and I and I because I listen to them double speed I do 45 minutes for my commute on my bicycle like it's 20 it's only 22 minutes to work right but times two that's 45 minutes times double speed I listen to one and a half hours every day of podcasts that adds up really quickly like you can listen to a lot of stuff so that's kind of like my virtual mentor if you like because I've listened to interviews from literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of successful entrepreneurs that way Mm -hmm. can you actually hear what they're saying double speed yeah yeah absolutely your brain is very capable your brain can understand things much faster then a person can talk. You should try it. It's, it's very productive. I don't see why now I should listen to anything on normal speed. Unless you're really trying to meditate and think about something, which is just occasionally you do want to do that. Most of the time you're kind of skimming through and just waiting for that gem to come out. And so the double speed is perfect. Yeah, I have tried it, you know, um, when I'm looking for guests for my show, et cetera, I just double speed it or one and a half. I do one and a half, but double speed kind of um, zips past too quickly. But I will try it. Like you said, you know, the brain can actually, it's like you're, you're reading some English that is in broken sentences, but you can actually still read it. It just skims over it. So that's probably what is happening at double speed as well. So Yeah, you get used to it and your brain adjusts to it and it can work much faster if you've done it for a while. I actually have an even more crazy thing, which I've tried to do but haven't, haven't succeeded, which is watching two videos or three videos simultaneously and understanding all three of them. Um, that's like very, very difficult. Uh, listening to double speed is easy in comparison to that. Wow, wow. Do you end up walking faster throughout the whole day because your brain is just at double speed? You don't actually, well, I don't know about walking faster, but you actually may be working faster and you do understand things faster. So you, when I'm listening to things on normal speed, I'm like, this just is so slow. Can't he speed up? What's going on here? Like, it's just taking forever to talk. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Um, that's good. I'll try that. Um, <clears throat> now, best two books that you, you've found to be great reads for entrepreneurs. I like uh, actually uh, Good to Great uh, and those other books are quite good. Uh, there's, there's, uh, there's quite a few books that I've read, but I'm not, none of them are coming to mind right now. I think that I actually like reading a lot of biographies and autobiographies of people. Uh, there's, there's another one that I'm thinking of, which is Vern Harnish. And he has a book called Scaling Up, and he has another one as well. He's a really, really good business 
uh, anal- person to talk about different business strategies. So that's a really good one. Any any books by Vern Harnish? Um, hey, what's the best way for people to connect with you? You can just go on to timedoctor.com or staff.com and then all search me for me on LinkedIn, uh, Rob Ross and Robert Ross and and staff.com, for example, and you'll find me that way. By the way, how do you get staff.com? Did you buy that? Yes, I bought it. It's just a lot of money, really. But the advantage of it is really the brandability, the the trust and the credibility. So I guess not for everyone. Some people maybe don't trust it more just because it's staff.com. But when you're doing deals with larger companies, I think it does have a big effect that people trust the brand because it's it's a single word domain and they don't actually know that we're 50 people working from home around the world. <laughs> and so it's it's that credibility factor, which is if, if they see that domain, it gives a lot of credibility. If, if they know that we're not in the office and we don't have a central office, it actually lacks a little bit of credibility because it doesn't feel real to people. But the the domain helps to compensate for that. I'll put you on the spot here. Can you can you tell me the range that it would have cost you? Yeah, it's a few hundred thousand. So it's it's quite a lot. But I'm certain that I can sell it for what I bought it for because it is worth a lot of money. It actually does take probably a while to find the right buyer. But if you search around and you 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 canvas the market, um, I can definitely get what I paid for it. Very interesting. Um, I actually, um, I'm waiting to hear back, uh, I think, or maybe I might have even scheduled this, this chat with somebody who actually, uh, part of what his business is, is trading in um, domain names. And I never actually heard of anybody who does that. I've seen for sale um, you know, domains and I wasn't really sure who. But yeah, it looks like people do that, do buy and sell and invest and hold. And so interested to, 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 to have that conversation at some point. I've actually sold a couple quite successfully. I've sold responsive.com and um, I've got right now peppermint.com, which I haven't sold. So I've got some fairly good tasks.com, which I sold. Uh, So I made some money on those, but I haven't generally done that well out of domains. I bought some that were a bit more expensive domains. Very interesting. Very cool. Um, Hey, before I ask my last question, I just really want to acknowledge you for everything that you're doing um, and you know, for coming on this show, for all the, the sacrifices, I guess, that you've made personally to, to walk away from your, your professional career that you had originally started and to take the risk and now impacting many different lives through the people you're employing and the people's um, uh, businesses that you're changing through your software. So I'm really grateful for, for what you're doing and for coming on to this show, for pouring out the, you know, your words of wisdom to inspire our business journalist community. Um, it's absolutely great. Yeah. Now, um, for, for the last question, Rob, um, when, uh, when all is said and done, uh, what legacy do you want to leave and be remembered for and tell us why? It's really about my kids and providing for them and having a great life, that they have a great life. And then also for my business, something that makes a difference in the world that actually right now our company is empowering remote work, which is a really positive force. For example, in the Philippines, people are traveling two hours a day in some cases through disgusting traffic to get to work. So if they can work from home, that's a huge benefit for them. And our software actually, Time Doctor, 
actually empowers that kind of work, remote work. So that's that's one thing. I also would like to donate, and I have done some donations before for charities, do some charity work in the future. So there's a lot of things that I'd really like to to do with my life in a positive way. Mm. I love the passion that I just heard there in your voice around, you know, bringing, it's not just about this software, but it's about impacting people's lives, you know, spend more time with their families uh, and help the founders as well grow their businesses better uh, and, um, you know, regenerate those, those revenues back into, into the society. So appreciate the candid, the candid sharing of your story here. Um, so ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, thank you for joining, for hanging out here with me, um, me and Rob today. Hope you had a, great fun and i hope that you got your hopes up that you know you can chase your dreams and that you're good enough to do so remember to head on over to businessgenerals.com for all the show notes just type rob in um, the search bar and his show notes will pop up with everything we talked about today that's businessgenerals.com and uh, to connect with rob just go to staff.com or timedoctor.com and um you know just check out all the stuff that they're doing there and see what um what else you can learn from the services that Rob is offering. Rob, thank you very much for being on the Business Journalist Podcast today and for sharing your story with us. For that, we're grateful. You are a true business general. Okay, all the best. Thank you. Hey, what's up, Business Journalist family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Journalist Podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. And you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.